Hey, Rafer. Hey, Kristen. I know that boys and girls are different, but um, did you and your guy friends growing up ever like sleep over at each other's houses and play Bloody Mary? You know, I don't remember ever playing Bloody Mary as a kid. I know of the, the game with the flashlight under the chin. Yeah, and then you go into the bathroom mirror and you say Bloody Mary three yeah. times or something. Maybe like I did midnight. that once. Although now that you mention it, now that I'm thinking about it, I think it was with a friend of mine who was a girl. Is, oh. it, is it a girl thing? I think it is. I think girls like Ouija boards. I think girls like... I've done the Ouija board. Oh, did yeah. the spirits come for you? No. Nobody came for you. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think what you should do if you're playing with a Ouija board is play with somebody you have a crush on, which is why girls like it so much, I think. And oh, the same, is that why? And I think it's the same reason they like things like horoscopes, because mostly they just want boyfriends. Right? Yeah, right. So, so it's like, does Cynthia like me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yes. Right. Hate ship, love ship, all those kinds all of those things, things. Right. Yeah. The little, remember the little, the little cootie catcher, oh, yeah. fortune cup. Love the yeah. Cootie the, catcher. The, the cootie catchers. For some, I don't know if this makes me a girl, but for some reason, I love those. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I love. I loved making those. I thought those were hilarious and fun. I don't know if those exist anymore. I don't think kids even pass notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anymore, my my kid brought my my kid who's six brought one home from school the other day. Oh, you yeah. must have been so proud. Yeah, I was very proud. That's my boy. He's going to be a girl too, apparently. <laughs> Well, <laughs> so you're asking this because, oddly, uh, one of the more interesting films that's uh, opening up this week is Oculus, a horror film about mirrors. Yes, possessed mirrors. Possessed mirrors, mirrors that will possess us. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Yeah, that's Watch true. Watch out. Watch out for that mirror. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to discuss that. We'll discuss the children's film Rio 2, and we will discuss the... Uh, much talked about positive and negative film Draft Day, a sports comedy drama starring Kevin Costner. We'll get to that in a moment, but first let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway, and this is Movie Day. Okay, so let's start off with Rio 2, Kristen. No, no, I missed this. And you know what? I'm not really sad I missed no, it. No, you're not <laughs> because, sad about because this. Because you hated the first one so much that you really didn't make me want to go see the Did second one. Did you miss one. the first one too? Yeah. <laughs> why, am I t- why am I always taking one for the team on the Rio movies? Now I'm I mad. Take, I take one for the team on so many other that's movies. True, that's true. You remember, but, that's true. You Rio, do. That's true. You do. Rio, oh God. It looked awful. Well, okay. So Rio was a hit in 2011. It uh, was an animated film. It stars Jesse Eisenberg, plays the voice of Blue. He's an endangered Spix Macaw. Now in Rio 2, he has uh, met and is starting a family with Jewel, another Spix Macaw, uh, played by Anne Hathaway. They're raising a family. They still think that they're the only ones of their kind out there, but they discover that there's a whole other population, a sanctuary of Spix Macaws hidden deep in the Amazon rainforest, and they're going to go find them. Here's a clip. You guys are late. Clock late. But musician early. Wait, you guys are coming? Okay. I, I guess I'll go. Amazon jungle or bus, baby. Who is ready for a tropical adventure? Woo! I know I am. Let's wait, go. wait, wait. We didn't do a head count. Hey, guys, wait up. <laughs> so much like the first Rio, what you have here is a lot of sidekicks. You've got George Lopez. You've got Jamie Foxx, uh, Bruno Mars. Uh, is, who else? So Will I Am. The list goes on. I Jan- love all those people. Janelle Monet is in them. it. And, uh, and there's also a kind of a, a, another cast of interesting people. Uh, Babel Gilberto, the uh, bossa nova singer, son, oh, uh, daughter wow. of Astrid Gilberto. Um, 
Andy Garcia plays the uh, domineering father-in-law figure, <laughs> uh, very sort of Robert De Niro, meet the parents type figure. So you've got a lot of the a lot of very obvious, what I would say, tired, overused ingredients in this film. All the hip-hoppy sidekicks, the disco music, the Brazilian giant dance numbers. I found it pretty boring, pretty tiresome. The only thing I'm going to say that I think is interesting about this movie is it's the latest in a string of movies that have been blasted, mainly by the Fox Business Network, but that have been blasted for pushing anti-corporate and pro-environmental uh, messages. There's so, been a lot of them. There have been a lot. I well, mean, look I at mean, the Muppet yeah, movie the, a few years ago. Right, with the oil baron as the villain. <laughs> then you had the Lorax, which is, you know, which is an, an, an expressly pro-environment message. I mean, the, the Dr. Seuss book certainly was. And then came the Lego movie with the, the CEO, Lord Business slash President <laughs> Business, the film's villain. Uh, you know, Fox Business News has made it, has made it you know, their, their mission to uh, complain about how these movies are indoctrinating children with the wrong messages. Here comes Rio 2. Um, I mean, not only are, are our heroes a couple of endangered species, um, but uh, they find a sanctuary. And of course, what's going to happen? There's a villain named the Big Boss who is a clear-cutting mogul, and he's going to try and clear-cut the entire sanctuary and destroy all the wildlife in the Amazon. And and he does, in fact, go around calling people tree-huggers. Oh! Yes, he does. And, in fact, he chains a couple of humans to to a tree, the way that um, environmentalists, radical environmentalists do. Uh, It's involuntary on their part. Oh, my God! Yeah. In a children's movie? In a children's movie. Yeah, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. You know, the the only thing I will say about this movie in, in a positive light, because this is so rare for parents. It is rated G. It's a hard G, and you can take any kid of any age to it. That is a good thing. Otherwise, I think it's awful. But (laughs) I do think that it's interesting the way that these movies um, are being taken to task for this thing, for this kind of, of, you know, propaganda, so to speak. Uh, So I I think we should throw a question out to the listeners, because I would really like to hear other people's opinions on what they think about these kinds of children's movies and any kind of children's movie that has some kind of agenda. I mean, you and I grew up in an era where that was all the movie. <laughs> that was all free the movie. to be for the pinky lefty exactly. liberal loving yeah oh, multi-culty right? generation. Oh yeah, I mean all you that know, stuff the, and the, the feminist messages, the you know all, all these kinds of things that, that have been pushed on kids over the years. Oh, look at the movie Ants. Remember how much trouble that got into for being Marxist? That's right. <laughs> With a Z, um, yeah. So, okay. So, so here is our basic question for the listeners: How do you feel about children's movies that push a message? And I guess the second question would be: When do you think that message turns into propaganda? So, if you want to, if you want to weigh in, I'd be really interested to hear five seven one seven movies. Give us a call for that. Yeah, we want to hear what you have to say about it. Definitely. So that uh, otherwise, I don't have really anything else to say about Rio Two. <laughs> I have one thing to say. Thank you, Rafer, for watching it so I didn't have to. Thank you. You're welcome, Thank you so much. All right. Let's move on to Oculus. Yes. The horror movie. So, Rafer, this is where I took one for the team, and you missed out on this one. Indeed. And you know that I get freaked out at horror movies. That's true. You do. I scream and I squeal and I hide under my sweater and all the other critics who are so calm like you with your notebooks taking your little notes. Yeah, you got all freaked out by Woman in Black. Oh, that was so scary. Should have been rated X for scary. I know I say this every time that movie comes. So scary. So this one, I actually, there were critics sitting on either side of me who were doing the loud exhale. Oh, really? Yeah. So I was screaming. (laughs) I was totally screaming. But this movie... Uh, is the story of a possessed mirror. 
And anybody who's owned the smear over the last few hundred years, bad things befall those people because ah. the spirits come out of the mirror. They possess you. You start doing terrible things to yourself and everyone else around you. And enter the 21st century. We have a father who, because of the mirror and the power of the mirror, ends up torturing his wife, murdering her, torturing Gee. his kids. And then the kids, you know, kill dad. And before you know it, some time has passed and the kids say, we're going to go back. We're going to get that mirror and we're going to exact some revenge on that mirror. Ah, good. And that is the whole story of Oculus. Now, here's a clip. I found it. What do you mean? We only have a few days. A few days for what? To keep our promise and kill it. We were just kids. We made up a scary story so we wouldn't have to accept the fact that our father was a sick man who killed our... Mom? So, like a lot of horror movies, the premise might sound preposterous, silly... It does. <laughs> Far-fetched. But in fact, historically speaking, over the last many centuries, mirrors have been seen as sacred objects or evil objects or as portals. And so we decided we wanted to talk with somebody who knew about this history of mirrors and reflection and so on. So in just a moment, we're going to be talking with Mark Pendergrast. He is the author of Mirror, Mirror, A History of the Human Love Affair with Reflection. And that's coming up in just a moment. Mark Pendergrast, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. The first thing we want to ask you, there's in, in this new movie, Oculus, mirrors are portals. They actually hold evil spirits. Those evil spirits can possess the people looking in the mirror. And this isn't a new idea. Where did this come from? How long has this idea been around with mirrors? You know, it's actually... Uh hard to say how long or even where it originated because this idea that mirrors are magic and are portals into another world goes back a long, long way in a lot of different cultures. The Chinese, the Aztecs, the Europeans, uh, probably back to ancient Egypt. So it's a, it's a very common idea. And if you think about it, it's not so unusual that, you know, for instance, Lewis Carroll and Through the Looking Glass uh, had this alternative world. It's it's backwards. What we see in a mirror is flipped left to right. And it looks real, but we know it's not. So the concept that maybe uh, you could see the future or you could uh, uh, contact supernatural beings in a mirror or that you have some sort of double uh, in a mirror uh, goes back a long way. Uh, the, the Egyptians would bury uh, a mirror made out of metal with uh, corpses uh, because it was deemed they would hold their soul, which they called the ka. So um, it, 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 it's quite ancient. Now, in, in the movies, uh, typically the, the mirror, when, whenever the mirror shows up, it usually symbolizes a split personality. You, you know, if, if you've got a hero in the movie, he's uh, trying to make a decision. You'll, you'll always see him leaning over the bathroom sink and he looks at himself in the mirror. Maybe he has a conversation with himself. If, if things go wrong, if he's frustrated, he'll, he'll punch his reflection, shatter his image into you know, even more pieces. And, and one question we wanted to ask is, is this, is this a new notion, the split personality idea? Is this just a movie invention or does this also go back? Oh ways? boy, have you asked the right person about that? <laughs> All right. I, I, uh, I also I wrote this book about mirrors, but I also uh, 
wrote a book about uh, false memory syndrome, and I had a whole chapter on the origin of this idea of multiple personalities, uh-huh. which, wow. which uh, is totally uh, bogus. It's something that was made up back uh, about 120 years ago for the first time. So the concept of a split personality is relatively new, unlike this idea of, of uh, different worlds in mirrors. So, no, I, I, I firmly disbelieve in, in that concept. You know, it's a sort of a kind of the picture of Dorian Gray kind of idea that there's, you know, different parts of you. But certainly mirrors are this whole notion of what is reality and what isn't. Uh, that is, is quite ancient. Now, a lot of people have stories about looking in the mirror and the mirrors telling them to do things. Even teenage teenagers around the world or preteens do the Bloody Mary game. Do you know anything about that and where that came from? I don't know anything about the Bloody Mary game. You tell me. Oh, you look in the mirror with a flashlight under your face in the bathroom. It's all dark. It's usually around midnight and you say Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary three times in a row. And she'll appear in the mirror either in replacement of your face or standing next to you or oh, behind that's you. Great. That's great, yeah. I wrote in the book about uh, some psychological uh, studies they did where if you have a very faint light in a room and you stare into a mirror, you be, even perfectly normal people begin to hallucinate and see weird things often. So uh, that does not surprise me, the, the Bloody Mary game. So, yeah, there are, all, you know, there are all kinds of superstitions about mirrors. The idea that you'd have bad luck if it, for seven years if one breaks. Yeah, why is that? Well, it probably comes from the idea that your soul is captured in a mirror. You know, uh, in Jewish tradition, they cover mirrors in a home because the idea is that when somebody dies, you want their soul to go away and not hang around and, and haunt you in the house, or they'll turn the mirror to, to the wall. So there are innumerable stories about or how you could consult a mirror to find out who you're going to marry. Uh, so there's, there's, there's all kinds of superstitions related to mirrors. Um, back in the Middle Ages also they had books that were called the mirror of this or that, uh, mirror of God. Many religions thought that you could somehow or other be more spiritual or see God through a mirror. And there's the story in the New Testament that um, St. Paul wrote in uh, Corinthians about, you know, now when I was a child, I looked into a mirror and I didn't see things clearly, but now that I'm grown up, I see things more clearly, that, that kind of thing. Okay, now that, that brings up our favorite, Jacques Lacan. Are you familiar with Jacques Lacan? I am familiar with Jacques Lacan. All right. So you know the mirror stage. And, of course, when, when he brought up this idea of the mirror stage, that, that this, is the, this is the moment when the infant recognizes himself in the mirror and sees himself as a distinct uh, subject in the world, people ask the obvious question, well, what happened when, before we had mirrors? Well, I've got to tell you, I think Jacques Lacan is full of crap. Me too. Uh, yes, me too. Hooray. He's a, he's a Freudian, and I think Freud is full of crap also. Yes. Um, however, there's, it is interesting that around the age of two and two-thirds is when human children begin to recognize that it's them in a mirror. Up until that time, they're fascinated with the other baby in the mirror, but they don't know it's them. And it turns out that this ability to realize that you're looking at yourself in a mirror is really a higher intellectual power. Very few other animals can do it. 
chimpanzees can, probably dolphins, and probably elephants, and that's about it, and humans. And so I think it's connected with our ability to reason, our ability to fantasize, uh, and our ability to realize our own mortality, to be self-conscious and to know who we are. So it's actually, and it's about that same time, around the age of three, that children begin to develop some kind of morals and conscience, um, and also where they begin to uh, learn to be deceptive. <laughs> uh, so it's interesting how they figured this out, by the way. A guy named Gordon Gallup uh, did something called the Mark test. So you can test this with a baby. You can also test it with a chimpanzee. You put a little red mark on the forehead of a baby or a chimpanzee while they're asleep, and it doesn't smell, and they obviously can't see it unless they look in a mirror. If they look in a mirror and they touch the mirror where the mark is on the, on the baby, that doesn't show anything. If they then touch that mark on themselves while they look in the mirror, and they, that shows they realize it's them. And uh, you can have a monkey do this forever and a day, and they'll never touch that mark on themselves. They don't figure it out. Chimpanzees will usually figure it out within a day or two. And so will babies around the age of three. I did that to some friends in college, I think. <laughs> when they were uh, drunk? <laughs> and did, did they ever figure it out? <laughs> I don't think they ever figured it out. <laughs> now, Mark, but, one, one last question before uh, we wrap this up. We just want to ask your opinion. If you're dealing with a mirror that possibly is a portal to another world filled with evil spirits... How would you go about dealing with that? Would you bury the mirror? Would you break the mirror? But that might bring seven years bad luck. What are you going to do with this mirror? Are you going to cover it? What's the best way to deal with an evil mirror? The best way to deal with an evil mirror, as far as I'm concerned, is not to go watch that movie that will freak you out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't believe in any of this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a science writer, and uh, so I'm fascinated with the way that human beings tend to try to explain things or make up stuff to explain the world to themselves, but I don't, in fact, uh, worry about uh, my mirror other than whether my hair is uh, looking pretty good. <laughs> well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of your knowledge. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Mark Pendergrast is the author of Mirror, Mirror, A History of the Human Love Affair with Reflection. Well, let's uh, reflect a little bit on the next film. Oh, Rayford, you're so I, I was gonna, awful. No, you're wonderful. You're, you're absolutely wonderful. Oh boy! You know what? So, I look into your eyes and I just see myself back. <laughs> Thanks, Kristen. <laughs> Do I look like you? No, okay. I'm staring into your eyes. Oh, is that why? Yeah, right. like those glasses are so reflective. <laughs> well, let's so let's talk about Draft Day. This is the new sports comedy drama with uh, Kevin Costner. He plays the general manager of the losing Cleveland Browns, and it's Draft Day. All the NFL teams are getting ready to uh, pick their favorite college players, and Sonny Weaver Jr., played by Kevin Costner, gets an offer for a very steep price. He gets to have the hottest quarterback around, Bo Callahan. And Kevin Costner is going to have to figure out if this is the right move. Here's a clip. I owe you. I drafted you. 
Your dad drafted me. No, Drew, I drafted you because I believed in you. And why pick Callahan? You know why. Then trade me. I'm going to do what's best for the team. The best thing for this team this season is me. Now, Kristen, neither you nor I are huge sports fans. No, I'd say that we're not. (laughs) Right. And there has been some negative buzz about this film. Uh, And also uh, the studio waited until Wednesday to hold its screening, which is usually a sign of little faith in a a film. But uh, what did you think of this film? Let's let's talk first about Kevin Costner. Uh, You and I liked him quite a bit in Three Days to Kill, even though that film itself was a disaster. (laughs) But uh, we liked him. And what how did you like him in in this movie as as the the head of a uh, of an NFL team? Yeah, he's the general manager of the Cleveland Browns. But, you know, so much of the world associates him with baseball movies. So That's a good point. There, there is that moment of like, hold on, am I actually watching a football movie and not a baseball movie? And it's Kevin Costner. Good point. But that's fine. That's fine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with it. He's just an actor. He's not really a baseball player. That's true. I can go with this. But here's the problem with it. I went in thinking the same thing I went in thinking with Moneyball, which is I'm going to watch someone take pretty much an Excel spreadsheet and move this number from here over to here and this name down here over to here. And that's a hard thing to watch. Moneyball, I think, did it successfully with baseball. But um, I think that's a really hard challenge. It's like watching an accountant in his office with pens and pieces of paper and spreadsheets. And it's hard to watch that and think it's going to be interesting unless it's set up in a really phenomenal way. And And this didn't do it for you? This one didn't. I just didn't feel like it was doing it for me. No. Well, I I actually thought, surprisingly, that the film just about clears the bar. What? Yeah, I really did. No, no. Yeah, no. and and maybe this is because I'm just a I'm just pig ignorant about sports and I just have no idea what draft day or NFL football or anything. I have no idea how any of that stuff operates. So perhaps if I were a football fan, I'd be, you know, crossing my arms and harumphing at all this, but I thought it it was I thought it got away with what I, what I would consider an almost non-existent plot. The, 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 the plot is really trying to set up some kind of, uh, you know, there's the kind of the young players played by um, uh, Chadwick Boseman and um, a real-life football guy from the, from the Texans, uh, Arian Foster. And I'm going to forget his name. Sorry. But there's, there's, he's a real-life footballer who, who is one of, one of the many who uh, makes sort of small uh, appearances in this film. But you've got these kind of young, eager, good guy players on the one hand and then cocky, arrogant, maybe self-serving Bo Callahan, the hotshot quarterback on the other. So there's some kind of lip service being paid to the idea that it's heart versus ego, you know, team versus I kind of thing. But it never really comes through. Costner spends the whole film trying to find out what Callahan's dirty secret is. I'm just going to make a mild spoiler. He never really finds out anything that interesting that you would kind of – nothing satisfying that you would say, ah, that's it. So the plot really kind of disintegrates in this film. But I thought it was really energetic, really? fun. I thought I, Ivan Reitman is the director who did Ghostbusters, Stripes. You know, and I love Ivan Reitman. Yeah, veteran. I want to just say I love Ivan Reitman. Yeah, I, right. I want to go out and play croquet with him, right. have a beer. He just seems like he'd be great, right? Yeah, and he is. He directs this movie really with a lot of uh, uh, 
pizzazz, I would say. There's a lot of split screens and wipes and triptychs and, uh, you know, uh, actors cross over somebody else's scene, even though it's still a split screen and they're in two separate times and locations. A lot of interesting stuff going on that makes it really fun. I will give it to you. I did like that. Yeah. I I thought that made it a lot more interesting than just having... I'm in a scene. You're in a scene. Right. I'm in a scene. Right. You're which, in a scene. which would have, which I agree with you, would have been very boring. Um, but I think Kevin Costner's really good. I think he's got a really, he's got his, 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 uh, that commanding, cool, calm, collected uh, presence that he brings. I just felt it like works. he wasn't a character to me. Oh, to really? Me, he was just like, oh, he's that kind of generic guy, and could be any generic guy. Of huh. course, his name is Kevin. It could just as easily be Bob <laughs> or Dave. You know, he's just like such a generic sixty-year-old white guy. And, Interesting. Um, and his character doesn't really have much to it. You didn't buy the uh, the subplot with uh, him. I accidentally knocked up my coworker. <laughs> Oops. Oh, I'm mad at my dad. I have issues with right. my well, mom. That's right. Which, oh, as soon all as these you realize the... issues are just like, oh. Yeah, no, that it's. I mean, again, all those all those subplots are shoved in there to distract you from the fact that the main plot sucks, right? <laughs> that's 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 totally what they're doing, right? I think the footballers call it a trick play. Oh, um, hail Mary! A, a Statue of Liberty play, um, or something. You can tell. We I don't, don't know, what, know what the heck. Yeah, I have no I, idea what I'm talking about. I don't but know. Um, but I think ultimately. If you kind of suspend some disbelief and keep your expectations kind of low, I think the movie is oh kind of frothy God. and fun. This is and, the and best we can do for a recommendation no. is if you keep your expectations low. I'm just saying it's not, you know, this is not going to be Stripes and this is not going to be Ghostbusters. Mm. But, um, but I think it's okay and I'm going to call it an okay date. Interesting. Not a, not a bad date. Interesting. I am throwing a flag on the field right now. <laughs> oh. I'm calling offsides and saying... I'm using terms, and I don't know what those terms mean. No, honestly, I'm saying this is not a good date. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. No, I, I, I wanted it to be a better date because I love Ivan Reitman, but no. The thing is, this is one of those. This is one of those funny cases where if you were, if it, where we are disagreeing, and I'm just completely fine with that. I can, <laughs> I can totally see why someone would call it a bad movie, and I would, have, I would have to say, yeah, it kind of is a bad movie, <laughs> but I also feel that it kind of works. If that makes any sense. All right. We're going to close out uh, with some trivia. Uh, let's tackle last week's trivia. Oh, tackle. Oh, you got, God, I didn't even. Oh, wow. you're so good, Rafer. That's how lame I am. I don't even realize I'm speaking in oh, football analogies. So good. I didn't, even know, I didn't even know tackle was a football term. Um, so we last, last weekend, we had uh, talked to Scarlett Johansson, uh, who was um, speaking to us about her new film, Under the Skin. In that film, she adopted a British accent, something she has done before. We played you a clip of that movie. Here it is. And you're married? Yes, Your Grace. To William Carey. And why haven't I seen you at court? Because I've persuaded him to spend a year or two here first. We asked you to identify that Scarlett Johansson British-speaking movie, and here is the right answer. Hi, guys. Love the podcast. This is David Hill calling from the Upper West Side of New York City, and I... Just was calling to say that the Scarlett Johansson film is the other Berlin girl. Take care. Bye. Well, wow. Good job, David. You would know. I would love it if you would call back, David, and say, "Actually, that was a pretty convincing accent." Or yeah, yeah. Call, alternatively, yeah. call us and say that was a terrible <laughs> accent. I can say, as somebody whose accent has been imitated in movies like Fargo and Right Gorgeous, that sometimes I hear versions of the Minnesota accent, and I just shake my head. And I'm sure that's true. And then I have to drink some vodka and feel better <laughs> because it's just like this is not how my people talk. This is ridiculous. We do not talk like this. <laughs> All right. Tell us what this week's trivia is. All right. So this week, in honor 
of Oculus. We're asking a question about mirrors. Mirrors appear in lots of movies, often in pivotal scenes. We're going to play a clip of a movie here that has a pivotal scene with mirrors. These mirrors, it's difficult to tell. You are aiming at me, aren't you? I'm aiming at you, lover. Of course, killing you is killing myself. It's the same thing. But you know, I'm pretty tired of both of us. What is that movie? That's a gimme. You think so? It's a gimme. I would say you're wrong. I would say a lot of our listeners probably haven't even seen this movie. What's a football term for gimme? Um, I don't know. Oh, God. See, I can't even. Touchdown? That's a touchdown. That sounds (laughs) stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Every time we talk about sports, it just gets more. The more we talk, the more pathetic it gets. So bad. <laughs> so bad. That's a torn ACL is what that is. Uh, all right. Uh, if you know, if you know the answer to that trivia question, give us a call, 5717movies. Or you can visit us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast. And every week from all the listeners who call and write in, we randomly select one correct answer. Hopefully it'll be you.